0: hey welcome to the trading success podcast if you're loving the podcast would love to help you start scale or automate your tradie business we help everyone from startup all the way up to one million dollar plus months and would love to be able to help you too so click the link in the show notes if you're interested in getting some support and joining an epic community of legends in the academy. We'd also appreciate, if you're loving the podcast, to leave a review. It helps us reach more people and help more tradies like you run successful businesses. All right, let's get into it. Hey guys, really excited to be here with RJ Singh, host of Ultra Habits podcast. Really excited to have you here, man. Welcome aboard yes
1: thanks for having me Greg. really appreciated that uh we've connected and that you have given me the opportunity to come on your platform man
0: yeah no i appreciate it and just before the show uh for everyone uh listening in right now we're talking around the 100 kilometer race uh that rj is going to go do over in america uh in may next year i'd love to hear a little bit about that to kick off the podcast
1: yeah so i'm in an ultra endurance Runner. Uh, the last two years have been kind of dicey. I've got a, a newborn. I had a COVID baby. And for anyone that trains hard, not only ultra running, but any kind of training, would know sleep is really important for recovery. And when you have little babies in the house, it's not easy. But mm. I've been racing around that. So I'm back, just getting back into form. I've got a 46 kilometer race this Sunday in the Dandenong Ranges in Victoria. The aim is then to do. I've got a Spartan, uh, my first obstacle course race the week after, uh, which is going to be the day after the Christmas party at work, which is going to be interesting. And then this 100 kilometer race in the US in May. And then the big one is going to be the 100 miler in Brisbane in July. Whoa. And, uh, and, yeah, there's apparently a forest there in the middle of the city, yeah. the De Aguilar State Forest or something like that. Right? Mm-hmm. So, what I'm gearing up to is that.
0: Unreal, man. Yeah. So anyone that's an academy member would know, like we we love to optimize our health and well being and energy because we want to be performing at our best at all times. And it's similar to like high performance sport where you've you've got to look after your body, you've got to look after your mind, and you've got to create great habits around around those things so that you can perform as a, a byproduct well in competition. And so we look at you know everyday performance at work is almost like training. Um, and are you training purposefully at work? You know, are you learning? Are you looking at everything you do in a very purposeful way? And it'll be similar to you running, being aware of your technique and um and your energy and and different things, um, and then uh applying that, you know, for you know, a longer time frame. So I'd love to dig a little bit into that. Um, what you like what initially got you into Ultra? I'd love to hear the story around that.
1: I'll jump into that. I, I, I really want to I love what you just said, and I want to add something to that. It's about intentionality, mm. right? Like so understanding the interdependence of the decisions that we're making and how they tie together, and really being connected to the consequences of those decisions. and that really ties into habits which we'll talk into. But within our craft, it's extremely important. um And what you just said was very powerful that we can use our job, our daily activity is almost a a, a discipline to strengthen ourselves. If you look at the Japanese and their relationship with crafts, they are, you know, your your audience would appreciate this as tradesmen and craftsmen. Uh, the Japanese were dedicated to that one thing they did and through the dedication to their craft. And when you're dedicated to your craft, you have to evolve. You have to be disciplined. So mm-hmm. the very craft actually helps you evolve and elevate as an individual. Um, so that was really, really, I think it was really uh, a great point you made, there, right? Um, so sorry to digress. In terms of the the ultra running, you asked how I got into that, right? yeah yeah so i got into it relatively late i had always been a gifted runner um and you know is a person that was in and out of heavy drug use and dependency my relationship with running and sport ebbed and flowed and when i got sober in 2010 I needed to do something to release the endorphins, right? Like I needed that hit. And particularly in the evening when I would drink. And so I just started running and I could run phenomenally far. Part of that's genetic. Part of that was the amount of energy I needed redirected. Um, I started to hike. And while I was hiking, I would run. I never knew there was a sport. And I always say, if I knew that that there was a sport of ultra running, I probably would have never gotten into business. I would have just done that because it's hard, yeah, and it's yeah. I love it. Part that I, I embarked on a, a master's degree, and, and and I couldn't run anymore because I had it took too long. And when I finished after four years, I was running in in, in the North Coast, mid North Coast.
0: I went on a holiday
1: somewhere up between Coffs Harbour and Byron Bay. And I was running, and I fell in love with it again. And that was in 2018. and in a month I, from you know, within a month, I ran a 50 kilometer race, and that was it. Um, I, I got very good very quickly. I became a sponsored runner, and you know did multiple marathons. Um, but for me, um, the running in the bush, particularly long distances, is not just an athletic feat. Uh, it is a meditative process. It's a reflective process. It's a strengthening process. All in one for me, and um, it's at the it's at the center of my universe. Um, really, it really is.
0: Yeah. No, I love I love so like there's a couple of things I want to dive into because I resonate with some of the things that you were saying as well. So for my whole life, I've been an athletic swimmer. Um, I've competed at a high level, got an Australian record in a, in a relay, um, all time Australian record, in a four by 100 medley relay. And, and even what you said before, um, you know, around the intentionality about your work, uh, we had in our peak performance program at the academy just last week, we had Matthew Levi, who was a gold medalist, uh, Paralympian. And he came on and talked around in his 2008 uh, performance in Beijing. He, was, he came back really disappointed. And he, you know, he, he trained so hard for so long. And then he and he come back and he's like, I can't just keep training hard. I've got to train with purpose. Um, and then he went back and got a gold medal at the uh 2012 London Olympics. So really, really cool. Um, I could resonate with that as well, like the working hard and the redirection of energy. And I've actually just come to a realization just recently around how I had this erratic amount of energy just flowing out of control. Um, When I injured myself, I actually broke my face. I got two, I got four titanium plates, two in my cheekbone and two in my eyebrow from BMX. Um, And uh, I couldn't exercise. And so the five weeks, I just had this energy building up, building up, building up. Uh, And your mind sort of gets to a really destructive place because I, same thing, like alcohol for me has been a real challenge where when I'm using it, I use it like fucking, (laughs) <laughs> crazy um, and um, it's just one of those things I, I, everything I apply my energy to I do at maximum effort whether that's destructive or non-destructive and so I took up ultra running as well um, yes yeah, signed up to the UTA 100 uh, but then COVID hit and I didn't actually do it so I ran a, ran a 50k warm-up run uh, for it that was brutal enough and I almost went I don't know if I want to do 100 and then Where was that at Greg? Is that I, up I, your I, way? No, I actually went back to Perth and, um, I did a little fundraiser for a friend who was injured and I just found a 3K loop and I just ran 3K loop over and over to 50Ks, which is probably one of the hardest things.
1: That's actually even harder.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's the and I'd love to talk in this episode around, you know, if you're, if you're open to it around the alcohol and drug so- story, because I think a lot of people, deal with that and they think there's something wrong with them, or maybe they just haven't learned how to redirect their energy in a positive way. I'd love to talk around the out-of-control energy and how do you redirect that using your running, because I think that's really powerful. Um, and then we can talk around the habits and stuff that you've learnt around how to to maximise the opportunity. Um, so if you would be open to it, I'd love to hear, you know, maybe how you went in and out of your sport. Like you said, you are in and out of your sport and then went back to, to taking um, stuff to, was it to deal with stress or was it overwhelm or what was the thing for you that was happening or just energy in general?
1: Yeah, really well said, Greg. And I'm happy to talk about all this because it's my life. Cool. Um, The manifestation of these topics that we're gonna discuss and how I manage these topics in my life, things like energy and habits, how I manifest that to the degree of success or lack of success dictates what people see, right? So they're like, "Wow, you're you're in business. This is great. You do this, you do that." That's just a combination of energy, habits, behaviors, personal systems, and that's 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 the case for all of us. Yeah. So this is life, and for me. My energies were always in disarray, right? As a child, I had energy that was misdirected, misused, and I didn't have coping mechanisms to deal with my physiology, the way my mental programming was, and maybe with some... Nature stuff in terms of just the surroundings and the lack of structure, all that culminated in the fucking shit show. Yeah. I was out of control before I was even out of control, right? And I know that may not make sense, but to those that know, they know what I mean. It does to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you're, you're already out of control when yeah. you're fucking not even supposed to be out of control, right? <laughs> You're fucking mess, right? So I, when I drank at 13, it was a spiritual moment. Like I remember drinking and thinking, I'll never be able to stop. I actually had that conscious thought, which is quite profound for a 13 year old. Like I was like, how am I gonna stop this? And for a lot of alcoholics and addicts, they say the same thing, like they got sick, Some don't get sick, they might've thrown up, they might've done some crazy shit. And to them, they were like, when do I do this again? Like, when can I get into this again? Because what it did was it enabled me to shut off and the noise and and the energies kind of got into some level of flow. Mm -hmm. So, society's telling me not to do this, why? (laughs) Are you crazy? Um, no, I'm going to, and I'm going to pursue it to the, to the end. of the earth, and that's what I did. You know, alcohol made me what was, look, I was a talented young kid, very sporty Olympic development program, soccer, um, not a lot of training, very intense athlete, um, didn't train as hard as most, but I was extremely intense and when I played, I played with a certain uh, a level of energy. The alcohol started to become a mainstay in my life. And I got to an age and a place where the level of competition was such that you really need to be fit. And I needed to kind of dedicate myself to the craft. And, um, you know, I lived in Europe, came back from Europe. In between soccer, I was getting in trouble in and out of juvenile halls, boys' homes. The addiction from alcohol, then moved on to bigger drugs, methamphetamine, sort of smoking ice, 17 years old. And that life took me through into um a life of crime. Mm-hmm. And um we can unpack that to the extent that you want. But the reality was, even as a 25-year-old, that was a seasoned criminal um, had seen it all and done it all if you were to look at me you would have seen I was a 25 year old living in an environment where I was medicating myself 24-7 I lived in the bar I was always in the bar so I was always drunk I was always in A state of high of some sort. And I made money in those environments because it helped me fuel the way I was living, right? So, like, it was this circular process. So, that's how and what life looked like for me by the age of 25. Um, Serious alcohol addiction. I no longer was on the drugs, but I was making money um, the wrong way. I had a host of legal problems, historical and present. I had a girlfriend who was an IV drug user. We had a physically abusive relationship both ways. And I was thinking to myself, how the hell am I going to get out of this? Because I knew I knew there wasn't much left in the tank.
0: Man, thank you so much for sharing so openly. I think it's really important that we unpack that for people who might be feeling a similar thing happening for them or people they love and they might have a better understanding of what might actually be happening deep down it sounds like you've had gone through an amazing transformational process where you've actually started to understand maybe the environment and its impact maybe the habits that you were creating which were destructive habits rather than positive ones um and i think it's a great uh thing to actually unpack uh cuz you know i've been in a similar place where it was unexplainable and i didn't know what to do about it um and so i'd love to unpack it with you um because i think it's really important for everyone that's listening in um whether it's them personally or someone they love or or no so when did you start to notice that you were actually doing something that you didn't want to be doing like where?
1: immediately
0: at 13 or was it later um, on no immediately yeah i i was
1: whenever i The first couple times I went back to the United States and we'll talk about why I left and how I left. Um, But when I went back to the United States in 2016, um, I was in my 30s and I had left at 25 and I'd been an addict of some sort from 13, 13 to 25 in the US. One of the... Things I realized when I went back to the States and it still hits me now when I go back home, how my experience with the U.S. is so different because all I ever remember whilst growing up there and living there was always being in bondage and enslaved by some drug or alcohol. So like it's a real bizarre Situation to go back as an individual to my home as a non-addict because I'm experiencing California oh, in right. such a different way now. It's a beautiful place where I grew up in the Bay Area and I'm experiencing it with a level of freedom. And so to your original question, I was immediately in bondage and recognized I would not be able to stop this and it didn't dawn on me that i should ask for help because it felt too good and i probably knew that if i sought help i wasn't going to be willing to do the work at that age right like you're you're a 16 year old kid knowing you're getting drug tested like so we had a probation officer on campus that would drug test me say tuesday Fucking mean, Thursday Thursday, Friday, or whatever, right? Yeah. I would know I was being drug-tested. I would know if I drug-tested dirty, they were going to throw me in the back of a police car take me straight to juvenile hall. And I would use... I'd go to court, and everyone would look at me like I was crazy. Like, are you stupid, RJ? Like, do you want to be... And I didn't have the faculties. I sometimes wish I just... I wish I realized at that point in time, looking back, I was a child. But I didn't realize I was a child because I was treated like a criminal. But I wish at that time I realized I was a child and I could have just said to everyone in the court, I can't stop. Yeah. That's what I should have said. But like, yeah, like yeah. I just can't stop, guys. Like, I'm sorry. Like I know you think I'm some criminal because I can't stop smoking a five dollar crystal meth rock. <laughs> So I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul to do it. Yeah, you can throw me in juvenile hall. Or you can tell me how the fuck am I going to stop? Because I actually can. Yeah. But I didn't know how to say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, because I was yeah. too busy in the game of let's not get caught. Yeah. Because they put me in that, uh, you know, I got trapped in that system, right? So it was immediate. Immediately I knew that this is, this is, uh, this is gonna be very hard
0: to stop. Mm. Mm. I, f- I find it um, interesting how much this is very similar to me, in a diff- but in a diff- slightly different way. Um, for me, I remember growing up. I was always like class clown. Shut up! Stop talking! I'd say stuff like as soon as I thought it, I couldn't control the energy straight out my mouth. Um, always told off, naughty kid, like all of that stuff. Um And then I got to, and I was I sort of sort of bullied in primary school a little bit, tried to be in a good, like the top group, sort of pushed out and then had a bit of resentment about it. And then when I got to high school, I was like, no one's gonna fucking push me around. I went to a whole new school, no, I knew no one there. It was an all boys school. And I was like, no one's gonna fucking boss me around. So I became a bully in year eight and I was like fighting year 11s in year eight. It was just crazy Um for me to be like, I'm not gonna get hurt. You know, I'm, I'm not letting anyone hurt me, but I just had this same energy I was talking about before where it's out of control. Um, st- thought would come in, out my mouth or action, like hit someone, <laughs> it's just like, just just uncontrollable. Um, and so growing up through that, I was able to apply my energy into swimming. So at 13, I effectively became addicted to swimming and I started swimming progressively up to like three to four hours a day. Uh, so I'd do like a one and a half hour in the morning to two hours swim in the morning, and then one and a half to two hours in the afternoon after school. I'd do it every day, and um, and that became my my uh, my way to bring all of my energy cent- center, of my energy, and, and put it into a really positive way. But I remember telling myself like, I don't want to be a bully. I don't want to. I want to come back. I want to be good this term. I want to. I want to be good. I want to be good. I want to be good. And then I, and I'd get to school and social pressure and everything, I'd just be the same. And I was like, fuck, like, what the fuck? Why can't I change? And, um, and then one day I got suspended and mum said, if you ever get suspended, that's fucking your life's over. Like you're, <laughs> if you ever get suspended. And then, um, so I got suspended, mum and dad, silent treatment all the way home from school. And, um, it was the deepest fucking shit feeling. Uh, and everyone would feel that at some point, whatever it is. Um, I was so ashamed that moment that snapped me out into this. Like, I, I'm going to be nice to everyone from now on, you know, and I just, I think it was one of the, I, and you probably the same. It was like something catastrophic it had to be so catastrophic, like near death experience, um, to actually pull you out or nearly breaking point experience, pull it out. But, uh, I, for me at that point, it wasn't substance related. So I don't know if that relates, uh, if that's a different story. Um, by then reflecting just recently how I felt my energy was out of control again, I could relate it back to me being a child and like almost like I was behaving erratically. I was behaving in a really weird way. Um, and I wanted to change, but I just couldn't. You know, I kept doing the same thing. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like I've got everything I think I could ever want. <laughs> and then and then I still felt weird. And that's why I'm really loving what you're talking around this. I couldn't control it. I, and then you've learned how to control it, um, in some way through your sport. Um, so coming back to you and your story around this. So, uh, juvenile moving into maybe adulthood, like what, what changed at this point? What started to like, you're like, nah, I'm out of, I'm getting out of this. And then when did you start to put in the systems or the, the things that helped you break out of this scenario or environment?
1: Is, is children we especially young boys i have uh, a son who's four and a daughter who's almost um, a year and a half and with young boys we have this developmental process testosterone uh, figuring out our place in the universe my son is more measured than i was and part of that is i think he's very similar to his mom but You know, impulse control and the ability at a young age to manage our state has to really be modeled. Mm. And even then, it's not, you know, for certain that kids are going to operate optimally. You're right. Like Joe DeSena from Spartan, we've had multiple conversations and, you know, he loves the cookie jar test. You know, with his kids, right? Where he does the, you know, one treat now or one later, and he's always testing them to see where are they at, right? And it helps him gauge as to how are they going to navigate life through difficult choice. What's the right choice versus the easy choice? And we, you know, we need to teach and be very intentional with our children about this. So that's one thing. I had no system for living. Some kids seem like they had it; they were ability. To have self control, not be pulled by peer pressure, their sense of self, their long game, they had it. And I talked to people that I grew up with that went to the same schools, and we reflected on how we perceived the world and how they reacted to their environment, which was the same as my environment, was very different. Their coping mechanisms were much stronger. Whether it was n- nature or nurture, I floated to whatever was pulling at me. Mm-hmm. That was the fundamental issue. Now you throw in as someone that is prone to addiction, we have it rife right throughout the family. Now I'm I'm kind of there's a real element of, of, of disaster, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm 25, you know, I've grown into this young man. Um, I've done a degree in business. I, I kind of, I back door to private university. I ended up getting a degree. Um, it was a, a business degree. And, you know, it enabled me to tell people, well, what are you doing while I'm going to school, right? Mm. I was doing all kinds of dodgy shit. Like I was Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde. I was, you know, going to school in the downtown financial district of san francisco and after school I was right in the city doing dirt and you know I'm 25 I'm a convicted felon multiple time and I haven't changed my lifestyle I I know at some point I'm going to get arrested again I just know it's a matter of time there it was really um Violent times too in the Bay Area. There were there were there was a drought um, in in terms of drugs, and people were starting to do real shady stuff to get it. And so you know you had the situation of I had the situation of impending doom through through the legal process, but because I had money and I was doing what I was doing, I was always paranoid of. Who is going to kick down the door? What is going to be the cops? Who is it going to be people trying to rob me? Who's the loose ends? Who's going to try to set me up? Who can I trust? Who can I trust? Where can I go? Where can I go? It was just hectic. And I remember talking to my mom and I said to her, you know, I think I'm going to go to Australia. I was born here. So I had a passport. And, you know, I said, I just can't stop doing what I'm doing. And when my green card, U.S. green card, because I had never become a citizen, came up for renewal, we knew the government was going to put a hold on it because of my history. So we went and saw an attorney and the attorney said, you've got to start to shift and do things above board. They're going to want to know. They're going to want to see what progress you've made since you last were you know, locked up. If you got no job, but you've got money, like, they, they're going to know. Yeah. And long story short, some stuff went down. I didn't stick around and I left the country. And when I left the country in 2008, I left with a one-way ticket. Came to Australia and my drinking became worse. Now I'm in a foreign environment. I've got a job. i you know, in, within three months I set myself up. I got a job, you know, entry level sales. No one knew anything about me, but I had the same mind, mm. same heart, same system, same habit. And now I'm all of a sudden accountable in a foreign country, and probably didn't cope with that whole process of what happened within a blink's. Now, in a blink of an eye, I'm in, in, in a different country, right? So I'm still catching up to what, what's going on. And my drinking became bad, really bad, really dark.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I go out drinking. I was living in Brisbane. I come back battered and bruised. Woke up, black eye, bleeding, kind of pieced together the night before. I went out for a drink, started off nice. I became violent. And it just became every night. Tried to run away and thought if I moved to Victoria it would get better and um, it didn't. And I started to get in trouble with the law here. Mm. And that's when I started to shift. Because what I, you know, they talk about your rock bottom. It's never not, it's never necessarily, it wasn't an event. I had been through a lot worse events and consequences. It was an emotional place, this rock bottom. And I just remember thinking, how would I cope knowing that I left the US never to be able to return, broke everyone's heart because everyone is my parents or everyone's still in the US, only to have to look at my mom in the face one day and tell her, I'm back in jail here in Australia. Mm. That price tag was a cost that I wasn't willing to pay anymore. That was it. I had a moment where I was sitting in my apartment, my shoulders dropped,
2: I looked at the ground, and I surrendered no more i can't do it
1: i cannot do this anymore and that was it pretty much i've had um i went into alcoholics anonymous so i'm a member of 12 step and i have never lost that surrender i have never had an urge to drink or use to the extent that I've seriously thought about it. Mm. That's, you know, that's not always the case for everyone and that's okay too. But for me, the compulsion left immediately because I had a gut moment, like a a knowledge and a deep knowledge in my being. I could no longer live. I would rather die Mm. than have another drink. And I wasn't willing to suicide, but I wasn't willing to drink, so the only the only choice was to fucking live right like like, <laughs> totally best, like yeah and that
0: was it fuck it was uh it was not easy bro thank you for sharing that was a deep story and very visual as well and appreciate you going into the detail of of it all um yeah i've i was uh I've also cut the booze straight down the line for the same reason I was uh when my daughter was born you know I was I was like like I was there was a moment where I had her up and I was like drunk and I'm like shit I could just drop her and she'll die you know like I'm like fuck this like this is shit and I, I didn't want to be doing it it's just that I was in I've caught myself up in so much self pressure like I I my pressure was self-applied it's always been like battling the not good enough thing. Like I, I'm always like trying to get that PB in swimming and I've transferred that into partying. Like, what, cause I didn't drink, like I hardly drank. I drank, but not like I, I, I could switch it off and go, I'm not drinking, I would only drink at parties and whatever up until about 19 or 20. And then I stopped swimming and I was like fucking an animal. Like party, like what you are saying, out every night, partying all the time. Um, and that became my sport, you know, um, until that became a problem and then met my beautiful wife and she, she helped me like realize my potential again and recalibrate and come back. And by then with that recalibration came a lot of baggage now, like I was stuck in this habit and I was like, fuck, I just want to break free of it. And then that moment for me was like, no, like I want to be a good dad and I'm not good dad if I'm doing this shit. But then. Off the back of that came all this energy like what do i do now like I've got so much energy and so um i'd love to talk about that for you so the, what was
1: the, the, the thing there is and that's so that's so brilliant like we can use alcohol and drugs to build that energy or we can harness and use that energy to sharpen a sword yeah we need to make that choice mm. of what we do with that light i think that energy um for the addict or a compulsive individual if it's not utilized and turned outward it will implode on the individual like we have to shine that Mm.
0: yeah i've got journals and journals which i've been rereading right of times where i had to work through this stuff and um because my way of processing my thoughts is to write it because it slows my thinking down. And I was rereading it and just to, to go back and just go like, if I don't channel this energy, it, it takes control. And only recently since the injury, like I felt that again every week, what's well, nearly every day I felt more energetic. Like people are like, I want more energy, like give me some of your energy. And it's like, but it was like, it got out of control and it became a problem sort of level energy. And then, it, and then your mind starts shifting into like destructive stuff, like thinking people are like doing things behind your back and like you, and you know, you start thinking about alcohol or destructive things. And that's sort of something that's just happened, re, happened again recently for me. Um, and to, to then hear your story and just to be, and to have done the reflective work I've done over the last couple of months and realize that this, we need to channel our energy you know, and whatever model that is. And I'm trying to understand it because it was so surreal for me. It was like getting back in the pool is all I had to do. And I lived in Byron for two and a half years and I hadn't swam. (laughs) And I was like, all I had to do was get in the pool and I would have been fine. But it's like two two and a half years of me feeling not quite right within myself, like I wasn't, but for my whole life I'd always swam. Even when I was partying and all that, that was my way to bring my energy back into alignment. And then when we moved to Bali for three months, and then to Byron, there was just no pool around. And um, well, there was is one here. I just hadn't realised that I needed that. It was such a automatic thing in my whole life. Like I didn't even have to think about it. I'd go to the pool, and that would recalibrate me. Um, so I got a bit lost, and but everything was great. But I was lost, and it all comes down to exactly what you're saying. You know, this energy thing, um, and how do we channel that energy, and then. Directed in a really positive way. I'm, I'm actually blown away. Um, that firstly, you're on the show after I've just done this work, but like, but also how in alignment it is with what I've been thinking. Um, and I'd love to understand more. So when you finally gave up alcohol and and the drugs and you started to be present with your energy. So it's the first time you actually probably got to feel your real energy as it was. What was that experience like, and what do you remember of that?
1: It was um, difficult for other people to cope with it, for one, because you've got someone that has a warped sense of reality, seeing life seen through the eyes of a drug dealer, with all the baggage that comes with that. Now, with this intense energy and ability to hijack the room with that energy or control the room or so you've got this person on so from the external party's perspective it would have been entertaining scary bizarre inconsistent from my perspective it was full on but i had such an unbelievable honeymoon period learning to or having the ability to wake up not feeling like shit, yeah, right? Like it was like, I was reborn in many ways. Like, because the compulsion to drink left, I wasn't like, there was no reservation or subtle chase around the drug or alcohol. So that was great. Mm-hmm. So now it's this curiosity of like, wow, like this is incredible. and. How that energy manifested itself was I was fortunate enough to get or have an individual in my life at that time who was um, a director of the company I was a sales rep in. I had actually, as part of my last hurrah with alcohol, I had gotten drunk and resigned to him on text. I think it was a cry for help. He was a new... Uh, person in our department, but I just felt a, a unique energy from him, one of caring, and one that I think I knew this guy was special. And I think he, I knew he thought I was special. I had potential. And uh we had caught up on my last hurrah of drinking. And I've got all this other stuff going on here in Australia around potential legal issues happening again from my drinking. And I'm at this place of rock bottom. And what happened was he gives me this opportunity after I shared this story with him that I'm talking to you about and says, well, look, I know you got drunk last night and you sent me this text about resigning. Don't make life decisions when you're drunk at 5 a.m. So we'll pretend that didn't happen. And he said, you've got some real ability and potential. Why don't you work with me? Mm. And that's all I needed. And that year, we turned a $20 million business into a $50 million business. And I was just like fucking Jordan Belfort, bro. Like, (laughs) I was just explosive. Everything I had just dedicated to work, running. Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, that energy was like secret sauce. Shit, it was not sustainable. It was manic. It was crazy. I was lucky. I was in a privately owned business. The shit they would have had to put up with, like in terms of my behavior and my outbursts and all that, they gave me large space. Hmm. They knew where I was coming from. But um, that first year was extraordinary, and so that leads into the point that I want to make that when we're looking at shifting from where we're at to a better place we need to find purpose and we need an opportunity to reorientate ourselves to a better better identity identity and how we view ourselves has a lot to play with this for instance so what I started to do was remold my story of a drug dealing addict that was booted out of a country to a newly sober, super gun sales guy working under one of the best in the country. That story was powerful. Connect that with what you said earlier. When you stopped swimming, your sense of need for an identity didn't care if it was a, an identity as a party animal but you needed to be the best within that form, right? So part of that shift that occurred for me and any shift that's required for anyone is, and it it relates to habits, is we have to provide ourselves an alternative, a better alternative. And we need to start to recreate the narrative, man, like how we actually see ourselves how we talk to ourselves, how we talk about ourselves. And when we start to shift that narrative, the activities that we do will support that narrative. Mm-hmm. So let me say it again, the activities that we do will support the narrative that we have about ourselves, right? So that's what I started to do. I started to reorientate myself to a business person. Yep. and then I created an identity and the things I started to do during the day supported that identity
0: does that make sense it does yeah totally I think um I know especially like high level swimmers a lot of swimmers that I know have finished swimming and had this tremendous amount of energy and went to the party scene like crazy and then at some point, whether they came out of it or not, have come out and learnt to redirect the energy in a positive way by changing the narrative, like you're saying, and having them not see themselves as the party animal. And it's not just swimming, it's high, any high level competitive sport people, like it, whether that's at high school level or Olympic level, it doesn't really matter, it's with that, I think it's those people that have that same high level of energy uh, that they've created. I think they also create this energy from a young age. Um, you know, internally and then, you know, to be able to change the story about yourself, I think is such a powerful thing that we do. We do visualization practices in the academy. It's like the amount of guys, probably 98% of people have never visualized their future as their best self. And it's like, wow. Okay. Cool. We've got something. Now we've got something that you are working towards. You know what your best self looks like now. Whereas before, it was just like, I'm just going to wake up and go to work and hope that tomorrow is better than today. And so, it just doesn't work like that. You're sort of, sort of out in the water with no direction, you know? I, know I had a guy. Yeah. I at,
1: yeah. I totally resonate. Like, yeah, within your space, I, I had a guy. Funny, because I realized I knew his brother. I, I, I realized I, I knew his brother from AA. His brother was... A tradesman, but a yogi, like into yoga big time, right? Kind of out there, really out there, right? This was his brother. And I like I'm living in the central coast of New South Wales. And this guy comes to my house and he's an arborist. And this guy's up cutting trees. And he's like an athlete and he's loving it, right? He's like fucking like a a chimpanzee up there, right? (laughs) Like just like an absolute animal. And we, we, and you could tell he was in this sense of flow, mm. right? And, you know, he's into the whole Wim Hof thing, right? He's got a process though, that's what I'm saying. Like, everyone's got their thing, right? And it was the first time I saw someone in the trades and I realized, you know, like you're trying to tell your audience, man, it doesn't matter what forum you're in. And like, if you can bring that level of intentionality, flow, integration into what you do doesn't matter if you're building houses or you're selling businesses, man, it's, there's a place for it. Mm. Yeah.
0: no, totally. The, with the, um, once you've, once you've actually redesigned yourself and, and the label and the story, you you now got the story that I'm a business person, I'm a salesperson and I'm fucking good at it. Um, what... And uh, hold on, wait, before we go anywhere past that, I know so many tradies out there that are so nervous to label themselves as a salesperson because they are worried of the story that people are gonna, uh, what they're gonna think about them. You know, if they try and sell them anything, like, hey, uh, I noticed you don't have electrocution protection devices on your switchboard. I'm not gonna say anything about it, you know, cause I don't want you to spend money because I don't wanna be labeled as a salesperson. You know and then you know three weeks later janice gets electrocuted and dies it's like well how would you feel if that happened to you and how much do you think the family would pay you to bring their their janice back to life you know and it's like we've got to see what we do is uh, like every action we do is how's it providing value um but anyway just a quick segue into the sales thing because
1: yeah i had a conversation with guys in the business my i some with the other week, like we're a sales-driven organization. Like we've sorted out all the back end. The systems are humming, the processes are humming, the people are humming. And let's fucking go out there and do what we gotta do. Let's not be ashamed to be sales led. And I think any salesperson goes through this whole, you know, when I did it, I did a master's in business. Part of that was because I wanted to elevate my identity beyond the salesperson. And now many years later, I've just come back to, hey, it is what it is. You, you come to a place in your life as well where you realize you can call it what the fuck you want to call it. Like It is what it is. A label is just a label. Yeah. And I think salespeople, people that are in the trade of sales, go through a love-hate relationship. And I think when they get to a certain age, they realize, you can just call it, it is what it is. The world is about relationships. The world is about bartering information, products. We do it with our wives, we do it with our kids. And I think part of what you're saying, it's cultural too in Australia. Mm-hmm. I think people don't like to put themselves out there because it's a culture here in Oz where, ah, oh, I don't want to be a dickhead, no, you know? Like that mm-hmm. whole kind of, kind of tall poppy, I think there's an element of that. But if you can start to see yourself as a bringer of value. Yeah,
0: totally.
1: Right, like it's, how, it's a reframe.
0: Yeah, and it's, and it's also like it is as simple as you stop telling yourself that I'm not that. You know, <laughs> a lot of people are like, I'm not that. And then it's them telling themselves I'm not that is what prevents them so I'm t- from doing it and improving so many things within any business. Um, anyway, so back to that, you've labeled yourself this. What was the journey from there like for you?
1: Yeah, so I, I labeled myself this. I created a new identity. The life started to throw me accolades. I was never used to that. So that became my new addiction. Mm. Being Being the guy that turned it all around and now look at me. And everyone's throwing me accolades in a way that I had never experienced. And that felt nice. And I used that. And I leveraged that. I would urge anyone that has a very poor sense of identity to recreate a new one and to move towards a better narrative as you'll learn on the trajectory that there will always be a better narrative and one can become then bogged down by chasing this new identity and ultimately identities and labels are all marred with a potential for disaster, but it does serve its purpose when you're trying to shift from a really negative sense of self and identity that is killing you because it's tangible, right? So I chased the, the elevation of that identity for the next few years. I went and did a master's degree And yeah, it was purposeful and about becoming better. My intention, though, was one of also recreating and continuing to create my identity. Is that a good or bad thing? I don't know. Was it coming from the purest place of I just want to be better? I think it is. But I, I, you know, I did that. I went and did a master's degree, took four years while I was working full time. Probably one of the hardest things I ever did is someone that was super unacademic, and everyone in there was pretty academic and um you know i i got involved with the business myself as an owner and we are now a competitor of that original company i worked for and um the goal for me was to become a very very good business person not good like excellent like top tier Yeah. yeah right um and I stayed sober and I've stayed sober. This is 11 years now, right? No alcohol, right? So um, that's, that was that business journey, right, for me. Yeah.
0: Amazing. So you talked around anyone that's feeling a lack of identity just to change the identity. Have you got any tips around, you know, f- maybe put yourself back in your shoes where you were, like fuck, I can't change. Like I'm stuck in this. Like, what if you could go back to there? Is there anything you could have done? Do you feel like it could have, could have there been something, or did it have to come to that point um, for you to 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 make that decision? What do you reckon?
1: I think with addiction, with people that are addicts, which is a, a profoundly bad situation, I needed to get sober. Whether or not someone can get sober without hitting a rock bottom is a very very philosophical conversation, a very difficult yeah. one to answer. I don't believe they can. Unfortunately, you never know when someone is going to hit their not, you know, their the, the point of I can't go below this. Some people die, right? Some people suicide. Um, some people just continue to do it until they go crazy. But when I started to, uh, when I got in that place of teachability, and I was willing to be sober, what I did was I moved into environments that I had a natural interest in, some level of curiosity and talent, and I immersed myself in those communities. For instance, I had a conversation with a guy in the CrossFit community, If you're an average Joe and you want to become a CrossFitter, you go to a CrossFit gym. You start working out with CrossFitters. You start to build uh, your capabilities within that form. You start to hang out with other CrossFitters. You start to build a network of CrossFitters. You date a CrossFitter, and pretty soon you'll be a CrossFitter. So what I'm trying to say is it's about immersion in an environment that you feel a natural level of curiosity and passion for. And then you get really curious around, well, the people at the top of the craft here, what have they done to get there? And then you Mm immerse, And that is how you start to rebuild and reorientate yourself towards a new you in an function that you love it's like surfers and you could relate to that when you started swimming i'm sure you immersed yourself in swimming culture right 100 yeah that's it that's the fucking go i would say if you want to get to the top if you're if you're an ambitious person then you've got to have some talent in that particular and interest in that particular category um but if you're a person that has addiction first thing is
0: you have to get clean. yeah because you're not consistent you can't be consistent yeah i love that that's what i i actually love about what we have at the academy as well it is an immersion of like fully immerse yourself in a high performance culture with people all around you are just kicking goals you know they're growing super fast they're applying themselves they're sharing their wins you know we've also tiered our program so that you know People uh, in groups of the same income level, but they're also put in with the high income earners, you know, up to a million dollar a month sort of businesses. Um, and they're like, holy shit, that's what I can do if I apply myself. You know, they get the energy, they get the direction, they get the support. Um, and it is like the CrossFit games, uh, the CrossFit, you know, gym, uh, of the trade community. And, and, um, you know, it's an ecosystem of high performing, individuals and learning yeah, and enhancement
1: yeah and mate that's the way to go because what happens is it's a brainwashing process in a positive way yeah because you start to see where you can go i'm a fifty thousand dollar a month or ten thousand dollar a month trading i see a fifty thousand dollar a month trading we become friends i start to realize this guy and i are very similar. Oh, shit. If yeah. We're similar. I can do that, too. I can do that, too. Yeah. Bang. Once you start to think like that, man, yeah. you're on the fucking path. Yeah. Right? And then you're providing the community of support because we're tribal. Mm. You know? And that's why these isolated movements of trying to fucking do it on your own, especially when you don't have the infrastructure with habits, discipline systems, you're fucked. Can't do it.
0: Man. That's... I had habits, discipline, and a created structure, but I had no support. And it was the most confusing, terrifying, hard-working time ever, you know, and I would have lost millions of dollars in mistakes. And that's what created, that's what I'm so passionate about, giving everything away uh, with what I've learned and what I know about running a trade business, because we're trained at being tradespeople, not business owners. Um, and so we go off and we're like, oh, I've started a trading business. My boss, you know, he hardly works. He makes all this money. I'm going to become a trading <laughs> business owner as well. It's a different thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was the same, you know, and you get out there and then it's like four years down the track and you're like, this is fucking so confusing, terrifying and lonely because you're like outgrow, you're in this whole new community with no one, um, you know, and um, yeah, I think it's it's really important. That people start to recognize that we need to do it in a community whether it's you know whatever like whatever it is that you're trying to achieve find a community you can really gel with and and then that's really going to support you and keeping you the accountability there as well even just other people coming to training with you you know do you have training buddies you go running with
1: i did i had one girl um and i moved recently from new south wales to victoria and i had a a female we ran with and um i tend to run alone
0: yeah ultra is an interesting one though isn't it because you either can keep up or you don't for the long
1: the problem is when
0: you're yeah and when you're training with
1: ultra you may be training at a certain rhythm and pace because of what you have coming on when you run with others particularly men it becomes a pissing contest and you can overextend and yeah, part of what I like to run is also where I reflect and how I reflect. And um, being out in nature in the dirt, for me, it's it's it's. I've got an interesting relationship with ultra running because in running in general, like I need to be careful because it can become all encompassing too, and it can become another addiction. Um, and I can train so hard that it's almost like I got hangovers after them. You're running that far and you're kind of not really present at home. You're rooted, you're tired. So, you know, the running for me, again, is even with that whole energy management piece, I need to be very, very clear on how much I'm running and where am I at in all the other areas of my life or else it can just become a disaster too. Not like like, like to the extent drugs or alcohol, but...
0: Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one when it's a uh, sober addiction because there's no substance actually getting you to to behave in that way. But I, I was the same when I started running, joined a bunch of communities, seeing everyone else's running, you know, on Strava, on Garmin, you know, and then you're on Facebook groups and you're seeing what people are doing and I end up following all the world's best runners and then I see what they're running and I'm like, what? And then, and then I go out running and... It's all sober, like, and like, and then you're caught in this whirlwind, and all of a sudden, like, I stop focusing on the things I need to focus on at home, like you said, and business, and things start to slip in other areas. Um, so, how have you found? What do you find is one of the best habits for you, or processes or systems that you've created to help maintain balance? I
1: have to reflect all the time, and I say yes to everything because that's how I am but I've built in mechanisms to pause before I get involved in new projects. Mm. Right. So my day could look very crazy in a sense where I'm in the office generally at six. I might, uh, do some journaling and meditation. I will maybe film a podcast, um, and then I'll run or I may get into work straight after the podcast and then run during the day. And there's a culmination of work with my logistics business. And I then get home to parenting around 5.30 or whatever. And we put the kids down and... I'm doing some more ultra habit stuff until I go to bed at 10, right? So this continual nonstop movement most days from 6 a.m. to 10. Um, and I need to reflect on how I'm conducting myself with my energies, how tired I am. Am I getting enough sleep? I have had to adjust sleep the last couple of nights because of my daughter waking up. At certain times at night, and it fucks my sleep. Even though my wife generally deals with her, always deals with her, it still impacts my sleep. And if I'm training for ultra, I'm always on a knife's edge of being sick. Mm-hmm. And you know, all these things are compounding on top of each other. And then I have a whimsical thought of doing an ultra habits challenge on top of all this, and I'm ready to go and do it. But like I said, I had to. For me, I'm. I've learned to control my impulse by following that thought, letting myself be impulsive, but then I have a a pause before I actually hit the button just to make sure I'm not overextending myself. But all this comes back to answer your original question. I have to reflect weekly on my priorities by doing. Too many different things. I'm a person that can do uh, quantity very well, but my quality will probably start to slip. Um, So I need to ensure that's not happening. On the weekends, that's my family time. I try not to do any work. Um, When I'm with them, I try to leave my phone in my room. Um, And so I have to continually assess my output how I'm conducting myself. And as a parent, you'd understand the the whole wild card in this situation is kids where you don't own your time too, right? Really. And you have to be present with your kids. And that's not always easy too when you're tired as fuck. Running an ultra is easier than playing some weird game with my son for hours, which I've got no idea why I'm playing and He's pulling me from pillar to post because I'm not playing it, right? You know, like, I mean, that's what we need to do. And parenting and being a good dad is a priority for me. So reflection weekly and reflect on what my priorities are, written down priorities. Like if it, for instance, last night I went to bed at 10.30, That's late for me. I changed my wake up time to six 30 or six. That meant I wasn't going to do the exercise this morning at the time I wanted to, but I reviewed my priority and my list of priorities. Sleep is top, sleeps above training. So Sometimes it has to be as simplistic as that. Like I need to refer to what's the, what's the hierarchy of priorities and just being reflective and aware. I think it's the first step, like becoming interested in, okay, well, what's my life look like and how am I moving, moving through it, you
0: know? Amazing. Yeah. So with the reflective work, how do we go about, like if you were to uh, give a, almost a step-by-step for the listeners, what do you do to reflect? I do an inventory.
1: So for me, I'm lucky in the sense that in Alcoholics Anonymous we're trained to do an inventory nightly where we look at our conduct and our behavior. Mm-hmm. Now, do I do that every night? No. When we we're first when you first when you when you're sponsored and, and someone's taking you through the the actual the, the the work in Alcoholics Anonymous, you, you tend to do these things daily. So I reflect. Um, I have a daily stoic journal I use as well. So I, I do some work with with um with with um Stoicism. Yeah. I love Stoicism. Yeah. Me too. I, I, have, I have my own spiritual kind of practice and I've got a, uh, a coach who's a philosopher, psychotherapist I work with and I live a, an aware life. But I think to answer your question directly, what your guests can do, or sorry, what your audience can do is reflect every evening, you know, on what was guiding them. How are they conducting themselves? How are they treating others? Were they congruent to their priorities? You know, the things that they have outlined as their guiding principles in life, like, you know, the business, being a good dad, being present father, like how did they actually go in reality? And you're not using it as a means to beat yourself up, but you're using it as a means to be skillful in how you'll conduct yourself. Life is about skill, like right? Like life is living life successfully is skill based. It's not knowledge, it's not, we're not something that we actually are born with, right? So all this stuff is helping us become more skillful. So yeah, I think it's, it's daily journaling, reflecting, um, being aware of your true north, writing that down, and then asking yourself, are the activities that I'm engaged in at any given time? I don't watch TV. Now that's a massive call, like you know, like I've been wanting to watch that show, Billions, forever because it's like Suits, and I saw one episode. But I know if I watch TV in the evening, it's gonna fuck my sleep up, mm. and so I don't do it. Why? As much as I want to watch a movie, if I really want to watch a movie, I'll eventually see it, right? Because, I'll, but what I guess what I'm trying to say is in the priorities of things. I've got to sleep. I've got to wake up early and I know that TV is just not a priority. Mm. So I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. And so I'm an intense person and, um, some of your audience may be, uh, but for me at the apex of my priority and at the apex of, um, uh, you know, at the top of my life priorities is um is high performance. And so for me, life can become intense because of that sometimes, right? And so my wife, she thinks I'm
0: crazy. So is mine. <laughs> <'Cause>,
1: yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and
0: that's cool too, right? Yeah. You know? I love what you said about the priorities and making sure that you check them off on the way down from the top to bottom. Um, I think a lot of people have these maybe in the reverse order, like they think I've got to work hard because working hard will give me more time with my family and then I'll have more time to go exercise or something. You know, if I work hard now, I'll have all these things. But I think from my experience, flipping those and like prioritizing myself first, you know, exercise, swimming, journaling, making sure I'm aware of my own self and I've got perspective on the situation will make me a better... Dad and husband naturally. I don't even have to try. It's not like a, I'm going to be a good husband today. If I do that thing first, they come automatically. And if though, if I'm feeling fulfilled in my family, guess what I do? Work amazingly. So you know, I think those flipping like actually I'm trying to think through like what makes me feel at my best, what gives me that flow, and then working down to the next thing. Because the other thing is if you if your wife or your your kids are like, I never see you, you know, um, you got that guilt trip, like you're at work feeling that, like you're not gonna be working at your best capacity. Um, so if you can, you know, fill those buckets in the right order, I think the others just come naturally and like a lot, easily, a lot more easily. Have you experienced something similar? Like you said with the sleep and, and obviously not, like if sleep is the most important, like we we've got to look at what is the byproduct of not having good sleep and for you it ruins your training ruins your mood ruins you know your ability to perform
1: and also without good sleep i start thinking like an addict again i get paranoid i I start perceiving the world in a certain way which i know is not right and even though i'm aware it's not right it's still uncomfortable Mm. um so it's about Understanding that the things that I put off is I'll get to one day. Those are generally the things that are going to be and enable us to play at the top of our game. Mm -hmm. Right. So the inner mechanisms, the self-care mechanisms, those are the things that are going to give us longevity and be able to go out there and create and perform the way that we need to. Yeah, there are times you just need to dig in. Sometimes when you're running a business and you need to just throw energy at it when you're fucking rooted. I get it, right? And that's the realities. We get it. Being aware of it and understanding, okay, it's a short sprint or I need to give this, this next week is just going to be hectic. Yeah. It is what it is. But not traveling like that all the time in this unaware state thinking you're killing it when you're <laughs> fucking crazy, your wife hates you, Your kids don't even know you. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah, like, I would say to men, particularly, don't fall for that fallacy of, oh, I'm out there working hard for my family and rah, 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 that whole narrative. And when really, you know, we're being avoidant of home,
2: Mm.
1: we can't be fucked. But we're telling ourselves we're out there, you know. Supporting the family. Like, like what's the family really need? Yeah, they need you to support them or whatever, or, you know, that's cool. But
0: what our families need is us. Time. Mm. Time. All right. I want to pick your brain on a few things because you've obviously experimented and researched and you've dialed in on a lot of these things. So, firstly, sleep. What tips can you give people around optimizing your sleep for better performance? In life.
1: Yeah, there's two things with sleep. So we have to be intentional when we get home at night and realize that the process of sleep starts as soon as we get home. Actually, as soon as we wake up. But unfortunately, all of us are drinking coffee and eating shit food at some point in time. I, 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 I um, made a decision before this show. And I was talking with our customer service manager about it. I said to her, I'm going to eat this um, caramel slice. I shouldn't, but I tried to nap. And someone called when I was napping. Now I need the energy. And I said to her, I said, is it bad that I'm eating it, but I'm telling you that I know it's bad. And she goes, I guess, you know, you're aware of it, right? And so I guess what I'm trying to get at is through the day being conscious of our intake and how that then impacts us when we get home Mm. and then once we get home we're also have a mindset of we're winding down so start to wind down the tv i don't do it if you do it you do it two hours or so if possible before sleep turn it off devices turn it off, try to even keep the devices out of the room, if possible, get a, get a, get a regular alarm, one that's not required on your phone. Just touching our phone is proven to amp us. Like the very act of touching our phone, being around our phone, there's a subtle pull towards it. It's yeah. become like artificial intelligence. It's like it's connected to us. Yeah. Right? So stop the devices well and truly before you go to bed when i go to bed i read and i read fiction it's the only time i read fiction Mm -hmm. and so as soon as you start to read you'll get tired yeah and reading something that doesn't make you think too much and then sleeping Uh, i would say that people need to determine how much time they need to sleep. I used to wake up at four, it was a bit too early. Um I, w- I was doing that when I was training um a lot. It's too early for me. Um I also nap during the day. Not consistently. Um that's where my real optimizations come in. So there's a book called Take a Nap, Change Your Life. Um, it's a good book. And I read it and it just, you twenty-minute nap, you know, you start to feel that fatigue and reach for that second coffee or that sugar. You take that nap; it's like you get a reboot, and it's yeah. just twenty minutes. It, I know a lot of people struggle with napping during the day. I come in the boardroom, I turn it really cold, I turn the lights off, and I have a yoga mat, and I and I
0: try to sleep.
1: Mm. Um. So yeah, that that's what I would say on
0: sleep. So in terms of uh, your awareness around your body when you're training. So this can relate also into the way you work, um, but let's just say output. So output management, uh, what's some things that you can suggest to people who might be pushing hard every single day um, to recalibrate, find um, the right level of energy or you know even prioritize more appropriately?
1: Uh, I have to be very aware of
0: my heart rate even
1: when I'm not training, because I believe that part of why I'm tired, the way I get tired, is because I am like a overheating engine all the time. It's my it's my physiology. It's, I've got a logistic, you know, in the yoga terms. I've got a really high heat. It's just a high level of frequency, um, and. For me, it's about trying to interface with life in a much more calm and relaxed manner. Now, maybe your audience and your members may not have that issue. I've got to be cool. Um, I've got to be very aware of my physiology. um, And I'm starting to get into some polyvagal work around, just my nervous system and nervous system regulation. And I've just entered that space because um, I am acutely aware of my level of output and how when it's out of whack, I can get thrown for six. So I guess the first thing is your, your people need to be interested in it and very aware around how hard are they going going hard for a period of time, resting, are they getting enough rest? What's the self-care regime like? If you are training in sport, how does that then compound with your work? On a, in a wider context, when we talk about energy, you want to really focus on return on energy. <laughs> mm. Understanding we've got a finite level of it where are you putting it and what's the return on it and you need to be really interested in that that's such a good point right yeah return on energy it's a big one because a lot of times we will find invariably we're focusing a lot of energy on small ticket items
0: Mm. man like the energy thing with tradies, the amount of people who come in to our academy who have been in business for five years, working their guts out 16 hour days every day, um, come in, they do the cost of operation in an incubator program. They're like, oh, I am losing money every hour that I work and I'm working my guts out. And then they get to the end of the year. I, I did it too, I did, I've worked same story like 16 hours a day every day for a whole year got my tax return f- financials congratulations you made two thousand dollars for the whole year on top of your wages <laughs> like, and i had a real low wages as well and i was like what like it, i worked so hard and um it's just it's smarter not harder right and it's like and if i reflected or if i did some training or if i learnt or i took the time to actually stop and you know just Got a weekly rhythm and surrounded myself with a community that actually knew, like for instance, CrossFit. Imagine like trying to learn CrossFit with no coach and no people to teach you how to throw the weights around properly and all you did was try and figure it out yourself. You'd probably end up injured, right, because it's such a uh, a full-on sport. Um, Same with running, not learning any technique in running, just going out and running without learning any technique or how to fuel your body or how to sleep properly, you'd probably burn out. So, um, you know, it's such, a, it's such a valid point that you made.
1: I think with trades and in the trades, we need to be careful that we don't confuse accessing large amounts of cash and being busy with being successful. You know, I got a, a friend, his name's Darren Jacklin, and he's got 14 companies, I think, and he is Canadian. He says when things started to shift for him was when he realized that he needed to stop trading time for money. Yeah. Like how do you scale and how do you make the operation scalable? Because you can run around burning yourself out. I've done it as a salesperson too. Um, it looks different. You're busy being busy, you know, you're generating activity, but is it the right activity? Yeah. How are you going to scale? Are you needed to be on that fucking paintbrush to make money? Well, that sucks because the reality is we're trying to make money for freedom. And for, for that's the goal, right? Like you basically want the money to be working for you or the business to be working for you. Not a one for one relationship with I put out one gigabyte of energy and I would get a return of one gigabyte. Yeah. And that's what the tradies are and should be interested in is building that commercial acumen and business acumen along with the personal stuff.
0: Yeah, 100%. Awesome. All right, just one more. Uh, around uh, peak performance, which I think is necessary to talk around is nutrition. So what have you learned around nutrition and managing energy through proper nutrition? Nutrition
1: has been interesting. So I, because of the lifestyle I lived before I came to the US, probably growing up in an ethnic household, I never became self-sufficient for food. So until I met my current partners, you know, I was living in I think Cronulla when we met and I was eating muscle meals which taste like shit
2: yeah. and I was
1: much bigger than I was in the gym I was always bloated and um, you know, she's from Byron Bay her mom was in Byron before it was Byron, you know, that kind of whole movement and so Talia was very food conscious and, and brought. Dynamic eating into my life, and um I would say that food is probably the last thing i'm need to get in, more interested in, but it's kind of done for me through just having a wife, and she's really into it, and I out like leverage her her culinary flair and passion yeah. for food. but what I can say is that um. I fast every day until about 10 a.m. When I'm racing, I don't always fast because I can wake up super hungry, right? Because of the amount of calories I'm burning and I don't want to lose tons of weight. Mm-hmm. But again, it comes to the whole thing of I'm very interested and aware of where I'm at in my life and what I'm doing, and I'll adapt my system for that. So, if I'm not in a racing place, I'll not eat any food till about 10 a.m. I will then eat. Um, I drink hot water throughout the day. This, I drink like six of these, and I wake up I, in the morning just boiling water. It's boiled, but it's mixed. Uh, yeah, with yeah. cold wa- water that's enough to drink, cleans out my system. I eat it around 10, 10 30 a.m. and I tend to eat really good food. Like I, um, I'll have treats every now and then. I eat dinner around 6, 6 30. I may have some tea that evening or cookies. I may not. And I go to bed, but I'm not consuming shit food. Mm. um we need to realize food is fuel yeah and um we can eat good tasting food without it having to be bad for us um so i'd say yeah just being again very conscious am i the most uh, uh passionate about food no but do i eat good food that gives me the right amount of energies definitely when i'm doing ultra i'm very interested like right now um, you know, when I run, I when I run, I I eat food. Some people don't; they do gels. I have to eat. Mm. So when I run hundred kilometer, even this weekend, I'll run about fifty kilometer. I'll be eating while I'm running.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: But again, that's what works for me.
0: Mm. Yeah, totally. I I always say keep it real. Like it's if it is it real food, is it or is it in a package or a bag? Like if it's in a package or a bag, it's not real. It's like being produced for. Yeah, just keep it real.
1: (laughs) It's funny, brother. Like, I'll tell you, man, like I've had experimentation where I'll do training runs. Let's say I'll I'll go and get a McDonald's coffee. I'll be like, fuck it. I'll get a McMuffin or whatever, right? Yeah. I will feel worse. Then I'll have more energy. First of all, first of all, my body's trying to break down that food while I'm running. So that's a problem. But I am... Without knowing the science behind it, I know my body. I know I'm better off not eating at all than eating that. Yeah. Because if I run, oh dude, it fucks me up, man. Like I'll be out there and I'll just be like, I'm slow, I'm heavy. And I'm like, dude, I'm never I did it, I did it uh, about five weeks ago and I was like, no. Mm. And you tell yourself like I'm going for a run, I'll burn out. So I'm not worried about the fat thing. But it's, it's just eating itself. Really well. Yeah. That yeah, like yeah. you know, so yeah brother i mean the good thing is you come from a good part of the world too where that is everyone up there is very much interested in good eating majority of the time
0: yeah totally Yeah, we don't even have it at mcdonald's here i actually went past mcdonald's in ballina which is south of byron and um my daughter's seven and uh it was about a year ago and i go hey hey babe what's that what's that m thing do you know what that is she's like uh is that like a? No, like she said something totally different. She had no idea. I'm like, parenting <laughs> when? Like, to my wife. <laughs> but um, yeah. But anyway, um, I think like I'm a, a big fan of fasting too. I've done a, like a bunch of five day water fasts. I've done like I'll I'm on a similar regime to you. Like you said, six thirty to ten thirty. I'll probably I have dinner at about six, but I also have like like two handfuls of nuts at about eight thirty, and then I won't eat until about 12 or 12.30 or one the next day. But yeah, every day. Like I, it's just what gives me really clean energy throughout my workday. you know? You don't wanna wake up full, Hmm. you
1: know? And I think people think that, you know, it it makes us slow and sluggish. And when our digestive system's off, we're off, man. It's it's the fact.
0: Yeah. Our guts
1: off, we're off, so. Mm.
2: Hmm.
0: Dude, I've really loved talking to you today. I'd love to hear if you've got anything to share with the, the audience, anything else that, uh, final note, final words from you?
1: Yeah, just get interested in, in, your, in, in your system, you know, your, your system for living and, and get curious about what does optimization look like and what things could you do. And I think if you let that curiosity guide you, you'll be on the right
0: track. Yeah, amazing. Cool, oh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ajay.